So Jeff Bezos is worth approximately $161 billion. The net worth of the average American is about $190,000. This means that when Jeff Bezos spent $500 million recently on his super yacht, the impact to him was basically the same as $600 to the average American. <clears throat> so that's basically like one of us going to Costco and coming home with a fancy blender, right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Hey, honey, I went to Costco to get some snacks for the kids, and I bought a $500 million super yacht. And then for her to respond, okay, well, did you at least remember to get the milk, right? Because spending $500 million doesn't really matter. How is it possible that someone can be worth 850,000 times more than the average person in the richest country in the world? Well, obviously, because he's 850,000 times smarter than the rest of us. He's 850,000 times, or he works 850,000 times more than the rest of us, so he, he deserves it. I'm just saying this to see how this strikes you. Like, wh what do you think about that? Does it make sense that we have centibillionaires, people who have over $100 billion in this country, let alone in the world, where so many people go hungry and don't have the medical attention that we all need? Now, I lived in Europe for a few years, which means, obviously, that I hate God and freedom, so feel free to ignore me if, if, if you want. <clears throat> but these are questions that were also raised in the Bible thousands of years ago. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, the Amalekites raided a city while the army was away, taking hostages and stealing everything of value. They did this in a number of cities. So David and his 600 soldiers set out after them, but we're told in verse 10 that 200 of them were, were too tired, too exhausted to cross the valley, while David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. So continuing in verse 11, they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. So this man from Egypt then helped guide David to the Amalekites where they were located. David and his army won. They were able to rescue the hostages, and they came away with significantly more than they had lost in the first place. So within this pirate economy that David is functioning within, uh, David and his soldiers strike it rich. They get all of their stuff back, plus all of the other stuff that was stolen from other cities. So then skipping down to verse 21, David came back to the 200 who had been too exhausted to follow him and were left in the valley, and they came out to meet David. And David asked them, how are you doing? But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. 
David replied, brothers, we can't act that way with what God has given us. God protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. The share of the the men or the person who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of those who went down to the battle. All will share. David made this a statute and a law for Israel to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Does this seem fair? In fact, in the ancient world, this was not normal. Those who fought and put their lives at risk were the ones who received the reward. We often hear the same thing today. It's the founder who had the idea. It's the founder who took the risk. So they deserve the reward. And that's fine. Like, that makes sense. But what David understands is that there is more than enough reward to go around. Generosity flows out of the abundance of God's generosity. So more than that, David understands that each person, regardless of their role, is a part of their entire success. Do the 400 have the same speed, strength, and energy left for battle if they were having to carry their extra supplies? Likely not, which means that those who stayed behind were actually contributing to the victory. But in a world that is increasingly individualistic, are we aware of how important each person is in society to our overall success and our overall health? If we were, I doubt we would have sent a billionaire's. I doubt that there would be so many people who would get left behind. Notice that that the fatal error of the Amalekites was their lack of appreciation for one seemingly useless person. Once he got sick, he became unproductive, and as soon as he was unproductive, he was no longer valuable, so like the 200, he was left behind. David, however, notices him, feeds him, and gives him water. This man then guides David to those who had abandoned him. The Amalekites, for all of their strength, for all of their success, fail because of how they treated one unproductive person. David is successful, however, because of how he treated those who were left behind. We are who we are because of everyone else. None of us succeed on our own. Wait, wait, that can't possibly be true. David is successful because he's talented and smart and hardworking and strong and willing to take risks. That's how people succeed in the world, right? But remember, David himself was once left behind. He was the eighth brother who didn't make the cut to meet the great prophet Samuel. David was the ignored son 
the insignificant brother who was left behind to watch the supplies and take care of the sheep. He was only given a chance because God noticed that someone was missing. Is this everyone in your family? Our society ultimately will be defined not by our success, but how we treat those who are ignored and left behind. Nobody's surprised when I say that I played college basketball, right? I'm six foot, six inches tall, so obviously, of course. But honestly, when I went to college, I wasn't that good. I wasn't even on the basketball team because I didn't actually play in high school. So this is what happened. Ed and I lived on the same floor our freshman year. Ed is not tall. Ed is not coordinated. Ed is, in fact, not good at basketball. But apparently no one ever told him that because one day he said to me, I'm going to try out for the basketball team. Do you want to come with me? And I said, no, I don't think that that's a great idea. But wait, you're trying out for the basketball team? Yeah, you should come too. No, 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 no. You are trying out for the varsity basketball team. Yeah, it should be fun. You should come too. So I went to the first day of tryouts, which was uneventful. So I skipped the second day. That evening, the assistant coach came looking for me in the dining hall while I was eating dinner and told me that they missed me at the tryouts and that the head coach wanted to talk to me. Amazingly, they offered me a spot on the team, like right away. And then I told them that I didn't play basketball in high school. So on the first day of practice, I, I didn't have any basketball sneakers, so I showed up in old running shoes that had holes in them. I had short shorts, like old school short shorts, and I weighed about 150 pounds. I looked ridiculous, but nobody told me, so I didn't actually know. After a few days of getting pushed around, I said to my coach, do you think that I should start lifting weights? This was like an honest question. And he looked at me and said, you should move your bed into the weight room and you should live there. So I went up to the weight room, and I put, like, a few small weights, like little, little plates, onto the bench press bar. I lowered the bar onto my chest, and that was it. I was stuck. I couldn't move. I literally could not lift this small amount of weight off of my chest. Thankfully, Sergey, who was a junior on the basketball team, was there in the weight room, and he came over, and he lifted the 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 bar off of my chest with one hand. (laughs) Then he said, maybe you should start with just the bar, like no weights. I must have looked ridiculous, but but Sergei didn't tell me that I looked ridiculous, so I didn't know. For two years, he was there showing me what to do. He was encouraging me, and he was lifting weights off of my chest anytime I got stuck. Ed did not make the team. Sergey didn't get a lot of playing time. I'm six foot, six inches tall, and I did most of that growing all by myself. <laughs> if, if you don't count genetics and like my parents feeding me and all, the, all that other stuff. I worked hard, I listened, and I learned, and I, I got better. 
But none of that, none of it would have happened without Ed or Sergey or the coaches, or for that matter, what about Mr. and Mrs. Roselli, who had a basketball hoop on their garage and let me play in their driveway when I was a kid? What about my parents and my siblings and my coaches and my teachers and my friends throughout my life? What about the guy who invented the game of basketball in 1891 using a peach basket? I have literally never done anything all by myself. None of us have ever done anything all by ourselves. Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, call me anything you want, just don't call me a self-made man. We are who we are because of who came before us, because of all the people who helped us along the way because of the people who are in our lives now. And we will continue to be shaped by each person we meet moving forward. So, so who are the people who helped you to become who you are today? I mean, take just one experience of success and think about all of the people who were a part of it. More than likely, any success that we've had started with someone or started with a group of people who noticed us and cared for us long before we were productive. So in this season of, of stewardship or the season of giving, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about how our lives and our church is noticing and investing in people. Because ultimately... It's people who really matter. And for all of us, we wouldn't be who we are if it wasn't for everyone else. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for each person who has ever been a part of this church from its beginning in 1875. We are grateful recipients of their faithfulness, their care, and their generosity. Our faith continues to be shaped here by them and by each of us. Thank you for each person in all of our lives who has helped us to be who we are. Amen.